Today on the Unabated Podcast, Jack and I discuss some NBA draft drama, ask a question about the future of sports betting, and Jack discusses the things you need to know if you're thinking about entering into a sports betting partnership. It's a great show. Let's get to it. And welcome on into the Unabated Podcast. I'm Thomas Violin. Joining me, as always, the captain himself, Captain Jack Andrews. We got a great show for you today. But before we get into it, real quick, just want to remind everyone that, of course, we are brought to you by Unabated. So head on over to unabated.com. Get yourself signed up for a trial today if you're not already a member. It is a cornucopia of tools for you to use to make sharper bets, not just during the sports season, because let's face it, Jack, we are in the sports summer drought now, but that doesn't mean we don't have Major League Baseball, WNBA, and some other goodies coming down the pipe as you get ready for football season. There's still plenty to take on in the sports betting summer, and you can use Unabated's tools to take it on in the best way possible. But for right now, Jack, Today, we are going to be talking about continuing a bit of our conversation from last week where we talked about bet bash and approaching and making new connections. But this week, we're going to focus more on what you should be looking for when you enter a betting partnership. But before we get into that, my friend, how's your week been? How have you been doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, I did some WNBA player prop betting this week, as I know you did as well. Um, and it, it was kind of ridiculous, right? It was kind of absurd up until last night when I got absolutely crushed. We regressed to the mean pretty hard, but we're coming back at it today. But yeah, WNBA has definitely been on the mind this week here at Unabated, right? Yeah, so we have on our team, we have one of the best WNBA DFS players. We actually have two of the best, and they've competed against each other for years, but uh Go in is is our guy that's been making our WNBA player prop projections. And how this came about is we wanted to expand into WNBA. And we wanted to put player props up there with our prop odd screen, which has been very successful and very popular in baseball and football and basketball. And there were no projections out there for to kind of be a sample to load into the, the player prop simulator. So we asked Glenn if he would want to be come on board and help us with some of these projections. And he said, oh, sure. Uh, and his projections were like straight fire. They were, I, I think, you know, guys were going like 26 and five on the first 30, 30 plus their projections. Uh, it was it was kind of ridiculous. And it was to the point that we were actually cautioning people, look, this can't last. OK, this is there, nothing can be this good. Uh, the market's going to catch up or. Uh, you know, Galen might regress to the mean a little bit. And that that's happened a little bit. But honestly, the amount of profit that people made in that first week with our WNBA uh, prop projections was off the charts. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty amazing. It's almost, I you know, Tom, I, I like saying, when you try something new at gambling, the worst thing that can happen is you lose. The second worst thing that can happen is you win. And that's what happened this week. There's a lot of people that had some false confidence that they had just, you know, found a golden goose that was laying golden eggs for them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not quite that. It's good, but it's not quite that good. But uh, I'm pretty proven that he's at least profitable. And so these WNBA player prop projections are a little bit of a, uh, a nice pot of gold that, that people have found. 
And so much so that we're they're behind the premium paywall. So in other words, uh, even though the prop tools are an essentials tier item, the player prop projections for WNBA are a premium product. And that, of course, it does make a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, because like you said, they've been pretty powerful in the market over the course of one week so far. But and this might be the toughest question that you'll get on a podcast that is also run by your own people. But, you know, the thing that a lot of gambling Twitter especially likes to talk about and likes to hit you and Rufus especially for uh, when Rufus started giving out some projections for golf over at Raz? Uh, ETR. ETR. My bad. I wasn't sure quite where his deal there was because that's separate from anything that I'm involved in here. But at some point, some people argue that it's a form of touting and selling picks. What do you make of it? And how have you kind of been approaching it from an unabated standpoint here? Yeah, no, of course, that topic came up pretty early on when we were considering adding this feature. How I would approach it, and some may say this is just semantics, but I feel it isn't, but Projections are only so much of the equation. With projection sources, you still need to be able to find a, a median line, you know, because sports books put out median lines. They don't put out means. Means are projections. Uh, they, they, they want to have uh, basically 50% of the uh, probability of it winning be to, you know, either side of it. Not that they're balancing the action, but that's just how they get away with offering something that can have a very skewed result distribution. So when you have a projection, you need to find the median to in order to have the apples to apples comparison between the projection and what the sports book line is. And so we're, we're providing you with projection. You still need to do the simulations, which we have the tools for you to do. That's why it's so complementary to what we have already on unabated. But that's, again, not all the way there to where you need to be in order to bet into these. These are these are player props, and these are player props in a small liquidity league. You need to exercise some of the art of sports betting in order to get down on these. And we've talked about that uh, in our premium live streams, where we talked about how should I try to get down on these? Where can I get down on these? What should be my approach to it? And, uh, you know, when you when you factor all these things into consideration, this isn't something that a tout would tell you. This isn't something where, the, you know, a tout basically says these are these are hitting at an 85 percent clip this week, which they were. And, you know, we're red hot and you got to go play these. And here's the lines. And, you know, you go out and try to bet them. And sometimes the lines have already moved. We're doing none of that. We're just saying, look, these are our projections. Do with them what you will. And, um, you know, I. I think there is a difference between making projections as well as, as putting out picks, but I understand those that want to criticize will always find something to criticize. So if this is how you want to criticize us, okay, but you're, you're missing out. Yeah, exactly. Because it, the ride has been fun so far. Like I, I believe you joked in the discord, there's going to be some kids being named Galen in about nine months from now after the <laughs> yeah. first week, it was, it was really quite a show. Yeah, no, it's it's been impressive. Galen was the first person to say, "Look, uh, this 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 win rate is not sustainable," and you know we're making no pretenses about that either. So, but this is you know there's there's more to come in terms of unabated projections down the line. Uh, I think this is an area where we can really help betters, 
And I look forward to doing this into some maybe higher liquidity markets in the near future. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm sure that there'll be some announcements coming down the pipe sooner rather than later. But for now, um, before we get into our partnerships topic here, there was another question that was posed to me by someone in our Discord. Uh, I, th- I don't think he'd mind me outing him here, this guy by the name, by the alias of who I've been talking with a lot. And he had a point about sports books and the evolution of sports books and his kind of thesis. And I don't want to say that he was stating it. He was more asking my thoughts on it. And I wanted to know your thoughts. Do you think that we will eventually get to a point in booking where sports books are so efficient, lines are so sharp that the top down method is not really applicable anymore and it's not usable and that the only people who are going to be able to find edges are those who are originating their own numbers? Uh, Theoretically, in some kind of alternate universe, yes, perhaps. However, I think there's always going to be recreational soft books. And why is a sports book a soft book model? Well, they they are because they see that the profit margins on a soft book model, model are much higher than in a sharp book model. And they say to themselves, look, we can hire a bunch of dummies to run our sports book as long as they know how to limit and kick out people. And we can just copy somebody else's lines. We'll make we'll make serious bank. And you know what? They will. And um, converse that with the the sharp book model where they are definitely trying to get ahead of the line moves and they're trying to uh, figure out what is the best possible price that they can reach and how fast can they reach it. And you find that there's always going to be a vast majority that think the soft book model is easier to run. And as long as there are soft books, there's going to be, well, soft books that can be attacked. The biggest difference between right now between the sharp book model and the soft book model is a soft book often has a much larger air, uh, surface area to defend. They have a wider breadth of betting, the, the betting buffet, as I like to call it. And as long as they keep offering new different ways to bet, there's going to be sharps out there that can apply either a top-down method or uh, maybe their own skills to attack that surface area. Uh, that's, you know, that's, look, Circa, we all know that, you know, they're the sharpest book in the U.S. currently. They do not offer NBA draft props, and they're unapologetic about it. They said, look, that's too big of a surface area. It's too hard for us to offer that. But every soft book was all about putting out NBA uh, draft props left and right. So I think there's always going to be something there. And even if there isn't, even if what uh, says comes true, where all the books become sharp books. Well, anytime you have something where everyone's doing it one way, the value of contrarianism shoots up. And that would be a situation where the soft book model would rise up and be contrarian to the rest of the market. Uh, so there's a, because of capitalism, there's always that need for innovation. So if we ever did get to that all sharp, uh, I'm, I'm positive that a, a soft book model would rise up and try to do it differently and they'd hit those higher profits, and then it would spin the pendulum back. Um, it's all just a bunch of cycles. You reminded me of one more thing in there that uh, I think that we should touch on because it's still pretty relevant this week. But, of course, there was a little bit of news during the NBA draft because Sham Sharania tweeted out information saying that Brandon Miller was not going to be the second pick, that the Hornets were going to go with Scoot Henderson. And, of course, he now works for FanDuel, 
And all of a sudden, Brandon Miller is actually the one that goes second overall. And some people were saying, okay, well, hang on. What's to stop something nefarious from happening here when you have someone who is such a crux of information like Shams and you're in partnership with a sports book? It's not what happened this time because and you mentioned this to me off air. Miller was Miller was over adjusted on FanDuel markets. So it's clear that nothing was happening this particular time, but that's got to be a flagrant potential corruption, conflict of interest, something that quite frankly, there are no rules against it, but it definitely seems like some that could be abused. Well, what it does is de- it decays the public trust and the public trust decays the regulators trust. And when the regulators trust is gone, well, look out operators because you're really going to get screwed. We're seeing it right now with responsible gaming. Okay. Maybe not so much in the U S but in other countries where the public trust has started to decay and they're putting pressure on the regulators uh, just in the last 24 hours, Australia released the findings of their basically inquisition into sports bet operation. Now that started because the public was like, man, we're just getting screwed by these sports books. And finally, some regulators were like, okay, we're going to hold some hearings and uh, see what everyone's talking about. And there were some hearings that went public and viral. And basically uh, a regulator was just, just picking apart the operator's whole limiting structure. And what resulted was a document that came out last night where the regulators are saying, okay, Australia, we need minimum bet limits. Everyone should be able to get down this much. We need to have an ombudsman who is neither a regulator nor an operator to kind of be the in-between saying, this is fair, this is not fair. Uh, This is who the players can go to to seek um, recourse whenever they feel wronged. Uh, So the, the leagues and the operators need to be really careful with this because this is starting to decay the public trust. The U.S. is on the edge of a very slippery slide when it comes to a lot of what we have in terms of the freedom of these operators to operate in the U.S. These restrictions could come down very hard on them. I, you know, it's actually just on Twitter today, and I saw Kevin Weeks is kind of like the insider for the NHL. He's been dropping all of these NHL inside tips and draft positions and trades. So he's the shams of the NHL, and he works for... DraftKings. So we might see the same thing again. I don't even know if NHL draft betting is a thing, but this is the sort of thing where the the operators got to, you know, they got to realize like this isn't the best optics just to have some guy that has a million followers on Twitter and he's, you know, technically employed by your your sports book. That's not the best thing. Um, You know, you need to be more careful with this because the ramifications of losing the public trust and the regulator trust it's bad news for the operator granted that goes the other way as well there is an absolute negative incentive for a shams uh, for anyone who is an insider a shams a Schefter, whoever you have to tweet out something they know to be false because then they lose the public trust as well and then all of a sudden everything that they've built their entire career on is gone so there at the very least are some balances back the other way there but yeah, mm-hmm. it could still definitely be taken advantage of. Yeah. Well, we will have to see what happens. I, I, all of that in Australia is very interesting. I mean, minimum bet limits that that would be quite something if we were to get that in the U.S. Right? Am well, I thinking I, of that the right way? Yeah. Yes and no. Like, don't get too excited. Fifty dollars might be the minimum bet limit. True. Um, you know, because they want to make sure people are largely doing sports betting for recreational purposes. 
So you got to be careful when what the the regulator's idea of what the minimum bet should be and what you think the minimum bet should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are some things we've seen in horse racing where similar things have happened, where they need to take so many bets before they can move the line. That's another way that minimum bet limits are kind of um, done. And you know, I don't think there's a lot of APs or, or sharp bettors that are really going to get the best of it when it comes to MBLs. Um, I think there's better ways to do it. I, I think forced limits should be on on the screen. You know, in other words, like this is the minimum we'll take, this is the maximum we'll take, and if you want to exceed the maximum, well, then you uh, you know you can apply to exceed the maximum the same way. Right now, like if we put something in at DraftKings and it says no, nope, we'll only take twenty eight dollars. Do you want to get bet twenty eight dollars? Well, let's say they'll take twenty dollars from everyone. And you want to bet $100. Well, you can put it in and they'll say, okay, yeah, we'll take $100 from you. Um, but as, as long as they have to list their limits, that's a little embarrassing for some of these shops that are billion-dollar companies that don't want to take more than $11 on an NFL side. Um, and I'd like to see them embarrassed. Yeah, we certainly all would. But for now, let's talk about the topic of the show for today. And continuing on from last week, today we want to talk about building a partnership. If you want to start outreaching to someone like for example uh i i know several people would have networks set up things like that because you do find other ways to get down especially when you do find yourself limited at some of these books but when it comes to doing something like this there are some things that you should really take into account things that you should really be considering especially when it comes to the fact that you are most likely going to be dealing with a lot of money that you are entrusting into someone else here and that is the number one thing, isn't it? Trust. Yes. number The number one thing is trust. If you feel when you're getting into a partnership, well, I better get a lawyer involved, it's game over already. If you think you need to have a lawyer draw up some kind of document in order for this to all be safe for you, you don't have enough trust to go into this. You're going to need to trust people explicitly with a lot of money, as you said, Tom. And a lot of that comes down to being comfortable with the amounts, being comfortable with the partnership. And you know what I tell people is you start small, much the same way your local bookie, if you were to set up an account, might start you with a $300 limit. Then maybe you need to start with a, a smaller agreed amount between you and this other person and then ramp it up from there. Yeah, that's very true. Just as your local bookie is going to be worried about you stiffing them, you also do have to be worried about your partner potentially stiffing you, right? Yes. And look, partnerships gone awry are all part of the cost of doing business. Um, are there people out there actively trying to scam people? Absolutely. But there's people trying to scam people in every little facet of the world these days. You just need to focus on what's best for you and how can I achieve that through this partnership? So a partnership should be more than just about oh, this person allows me to double the amount I can bet because they'll bet it and I'll bet it. And that's not really the best kind of partnership. You want to be, if you're a person that has the skills, you have the correct numbers, you want to partner with somebody who can get the bets down, who maybe has fresh accounts or maybe has ways of using the art of sports betting to get more money down than you can. That's a great partnership. Conversely, if you're somebody that has fresh accounts or you have the ability to get down money, you want a partnership with somebody who wins and you go about it that way. Or maybe it's something in the fact of like, 
I can do the numbers. You can do the art of sports betting. This other guy's got the bankroll, and we put it all together that way. I wrote an article for uh, Unabated a while back called Building Your Ocean's 11 Team. And basically, I compared building a sports betting group to the movie Ocean's 11 and how each player had a role and what their role was and how that corresponds in a sports betting group. And I think that kind of holds true. And I also think Unabated, short little commercial here, I think Unabated is part of your team. You know, we're your numbers guy. We're your scout with our odd screen. Um, we're the guy that kind of comes up with some new ideas when you see different tools that are available on our site that kind of unlock some of that. What should I try next? Oh, look at this. There's some edges in this, this market. So unabated can be part of your team. And the best part is um, our cut of the team profits is, is a, a fixed amount, <laughs> just our subscription fee. We're not looking for a, a percentage of your, of your net. That's exactly true there. So head on over to unabated.com, get yourself started with a trial account today if you're not already a member. But moving on here, what are some of the important things in a partnership agreement that you really have to hammer out beforehand? Like you mentioned here, unabated takes a fixed price cut. What about partnerships that don't involve that? What's the best way to negotiate things like that? So it depends on the partnership. So if you're doing something where each person has basically 50% of the um, workload or of the responsibilities, then yeah, 50-50 cut might work. But if you're somebody that's just coming to the table and I'm just giving you some accounts, I've got a great account at BetMGM and I can bet a lot, or I have some local guys where I've got a good line of credit and I can bet a lot with them. Typically, you're, you're going to be offered either an equity cut or a free roll. And also typically, your equity cut is around 20%. It's not a hard, fast number, but that seems to be the kind of cut that I see most often when I would do these situations is uh, a 20% equity, meaning you have 20% of the wins and the losses. And then you have um, the, other, the other side of the coin is a free roll. And a free roll is where you only have a cut of the wins, you don't have a cut of the losses, and that's more around a 5%. Uh, would be the, the cut for, for somebody that comes to the table with a bunch of accounts. Now, big operations like, like Spanky or, or other groups might have a totally different structure. They might have other rules. We're not going to get into all those because it's not like you're going to go to Chinese Mike, Spanky's kind of right-hand man, and be like, well, Captain Jack said on this podcast that, and I went to the Captain Jack deal. Um, yeah, that, that won't work too well. But for the most part, if you're doing just kind of an ad hoc partnership and it's you providing something to the table that is already a working operation, then a 20% cut is of equity is, is usually the preferred way. Now, the second part of that, Tom, is the amount of time that you settle up on is important. So you may have a win-loss settle up where, okay, if we get to $10,000 win, we'll settle up there. Or maybe you'll have a weekly settle up, or maybe you'll have a monthly settle up. I've been parts of operations where we settle up twice a year, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and the Super Bowl. Those were the two times we settled up all year long. And um, the reason that the settle up period comes into play is because the shorter the setup period, the more variance that can happen in the account. And if you have a free roll, uh, then variance can be your friend because if, you know they may have, let's say we settle up once a week. 
Well, if we have a big win one week, okay, I get my 5% free roll. If we have a big loss the next week, okay, I, I don't have, I don't get any money because, uh, but I don't take any part of the loss. And you see how like that roller coaster could end up you getting paid frequently and uh, the team not making any money because maybe they have equal wins and equal losses, but you're getting 5% every other week or so. That's going to be well for you, but not well for that team. And so when you get put on a free roll type of situation, you generally have a much larger settle up period or much larger settle up amount. And, you know, you got to go from there. So because they want basically the wins and losses to average out into what they should be before they're going to pay out your 5% free roll. Now, if you have an equity cut, then the settle up periods aren't as important other than the transfer of money around. And you know, the transfer of money thing is also not something that should be taken lightly. Uh, you know, if you do too much back and forth of stuff on something like PayPal between people, PayPal is going to notice and be like, well, what's going on here? You're telling me none of these are for goods or services, but you're transferring tens of thousands of dollars back and forth to this person. Seems fishy. We're going to close your account. Uh, Venmo is the same way because they're owned by PayPal. Um you you need to be able to uh, if if somebody wants to settle in in cash you need to find a way to be able to settle in cash if somebody wants to settle in a bank wire you need to be available for that basically anytime you get into a partnership situation you need to make sure that you're flexible enough and you can adhere to what the other person is comfortable doing um, I've always found it's much easier for me to be flexible than to request somebody else to do something my way. Uh, especially if I'm the 20% and they're the 80%. Now, if it's reversed of that, then I can be a little bit more inflexible and you know dictate what the terms are. And of course, flexibility is always key, like you mentioned in just about anything that you're doing. It's always better to be the flexible one in this situation. But what about when it comes to um, the kind of books you're getting down on? Is there a difference between PPH books and someone who has just a good DraftKings account? I mean, you know, high rollers get flipped. Uh, the books like to call the term flipping whales, where you manage to get someone who was a big player to start putting down your action for you. And all of a sudden they turn into a winner. Right. Using regulated accounts is very risky. Anytime you allow anyone else to access your account and that should not be taken lightly because I could give you example after example of people that have contacted me and said, Jack, help me out here. This sports book, this regulated sports book is telling me my account's frozen. They won't give me any of the money. They suspect that I'm, you know, have violated their terms and conditions. Uh, you know, should I go to the state about it? And they go to the state and the state says, well, you did violate the terms and conditions. You had multiple people sign into your account. We can see it here on the on the logs. Um, no, we're going to seize the money and the money is going to go to the state. And that happens. It definitely happens. So you got to be careful not to violate terms and conditions. So if the terms and conditions say only you can access your account, then only you should be accessing your account. So maybe if the, the syndicate's saying, okay, go bet this right now at this, at, at this sports book, you should be available to do it. If you give them full control of your account, it's so much more risky. Um, now, on the flip side of that is, is PPHs, the, your, local, your local bookie. Chances are they don't have the technology to figure out if multiple different people have been logging into your account, especially if maybe the person you're partnering with is also local to you 
or maybe if they are able to use a VPN, most of the time with a PPH, they're not checking beyond IP address. They're not doing the geolocation checks that the regulated books are forced to do. Yeah, so no in that scenario, you can be a little bit more relaxed. You can um, you know, kind of skirt the rules a little bit better. Uh, now, obviously, with the PPH, there's a chance you can get stiffed by the local bookie where that option isn't really on the table for a regulated operation. So you need to be careful with that too. Um, you know, kind of weigh those risks. Sometimes, you know, going 26 and five on WNBA props at your local bookie, whew, you might be sweating that money come settle up time because uh, no local bookie is going to take that too kindly. So there's all kinds of things you can do, but uh, for the most part, I would say be more careful in a regulated environment than you are with your local uh, unless you're able to kind of make sure that you're staying within the bounds of the terms and conditions. Anything else that people should know before they uh, start entering some side of some sort of syndicate or gambling partnership? You know, I think lastly, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was uh, from Gina, uh, Gina Fiore, RX Gamble on our staff here. She actually just wrote an article about uh, how betting partnerships are sort of like online dating. It's kind of a whimsical article, um, but it's it's good. And the piece of advice she gave me is anytime somebody starts to slow pay you, in other words, they owe you 10,000, they're like, I'll give you $1,000 a week uh, for the next 10 weeks. Anytime that's a slow pay or they're just putting off paying you, offer to settle. Offer to settle for 50% of what you're owed, in fact, because chances are they have that money. They just don't want to give it to you. But if you offer them a deal of 50% off, they'll take that deal. Um, Chances are you are never going to get the full amount owed by you know his his slow pay schedule that he had put you on, but offering him a fifty percent off if you just pay me right now and we go our separate ways is often a good way to handle it. So anytime you get put in a situation where you have a partnership that's eroded or you have something that's not going well and one side is not living up to their side for whatever reason, offer to settle. It's um, it, trust me, you save so much more time in. Opportunity costs down the line. It's it, you know just cut your losses. You know you're going to have losses. We talked talked about that as being part of the cost of doing business, and then just offer a settlement. And you know as an aside, um, the IRS also likes to settle. If you ever get in trouble with the IRS, uh, offering to settle is what a tax attorney would probably tell you to do. Um, even if you you know even if you know you're right, it's still a crapshoot sometimes dealing with the IRS offer to settle. That's a little extra bonus. Since the since the IRS is sort of like a silent partner anyway, they only Fact. share in your wins and not your losses. There's some there's some information on using uh using that towards any IRS problems you might have. A little better uh tax advice than my standard go-to, which is commit tax fraud. We're joking. We're joking. We're joking. All right. Jack, that is going to do it for us here today. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much to everyone who is listening. Of course, one more time, head to unabated.com today. Grab yourself a trial if you're not already a member. Check out the awesome tools that we have at your disposal to help you make better bets. And as an added bonus, head on to the link below here. Sign up for our Discord if you're not a member. If you're not someone who uses Discord, now's probably a good time to start because let me tell you, you want to get more information. You want to get sharper. You want to learn more about gambling. The Unabated Discord is a fantastic place for it. Jack is always in there dispensing advice. And the fellow community members are also all fantastic. It is a great place to go, ask questions, learn more. 
and share your knowledge as well. We'd love to have you in there. Click on the link below and as always, head to unabated.com. But for now, that'll do it for us on this episode. Best of luck. We'll see you next week and let's cash those tickets.